Well, marriage is a lot like taking care of a vehicle. There are certain principles that uh, if you do those things with a vehicle, you know it's going to keep in proper working order. And the more you do those things, the better the, the vehicle is going to work. For example, you keep gas in the car, you put oil in the car, you change the tires when it's needed, you do the regular maintenance. And you know, one thing that's interesting about marriage is it is so much like a vehicle in that respect, but there are certain things with marriage that maybe we didn't see modeled in the home growing up, and so we haven't learned those things. And it reminds me of a friend that we have, and he is uh, actually, I would guess, probably a genius IQ. He's one of the most intelligent people I've ever met, can do anything with mathematics, computers, any of that, but interestingly, his dad and mom were not into vehicles, never taught him anything about vehicles other than putting gas in the car, and when he got old enough and out of the home and purchased his own vehicle, one day it started having major challenges. He took it to the auto shop and found out that there was something called oil in the car that you needed to actually change with. Um, they weren't into autos either, and so, you know, you hear about something like that and something that most of us would think that's so basic, an oil change, he had never heard of that. And there can be things like that in marriage that if we didn't see them modeled in the home, then maybe we don't know to be doing them in our relationship. So we're excited to talk about these 10 do's after I do to make your auto, you could say, run for many years to come as long as God intended for lifelong and be great and flourishing. You know, and our heart for you is not just for your marriages, your families to just survive. We want to see you thrive in life. And so these 10 principles that we're going to share with you, we're going to try and cover four of them today. And we believe that these 10 principles, now there's always people that when they come to our marriage conferences, come to church, and we're talking about marriage, family, relationship, principles. You know, they get all fired up and they're all excited and they can hardly wait because they just know that the pastor is going to talk to their wife about the importance of how much they want intimacy. Or the, the wife is thinking, I know he's going to hit the target today. He's going to tell my husband that he needs to help me around the house. You know, clean up his dirty clothes at least, you know, and help me keep the kitchen clean, that kind of stuff. And we may not touch so much on those important subjects today, but I do believe that with these principles that we are about to share with you, that if we will apply them in our relationships, whether you're married, single, you got some friends, you got some kiddos, uh, grandkids, we believe that these principles will help increase the other important areas uh, in relationships. And so let's, let's take a look at um, uh, starting with just kind of the concept that in marriage, and again, these principles are going to overlap into every area of relationship principles. But in marriage, there are uh, days where there are wow days and there are vow days. You know what I'm talking about there. You know, there are wow days and there are vow days. I mean, she comes out, she's looking all wonderful. I mean, she's beautiful. She's dressed up. She's looking fine. She's got the nicest outfit on that you can imagine. She's just looking great. She's just wonderful. And she's done all sorts of nice things for you. And you're just like, Wow! And then there are days where you come into agreement and you've set up this great budget, financial budget plan, and, and you're both in agreement. You're fired up and excited about, you know, getting out of debt and so on like that. And then you get the credit, bar, credit card bill at the end of the month and uh, it didn't uh, line up with your agreement. There were some extra expenses on that credit card that uh, was not planned for. Those are 
vow days. You know what I'm talking about? Those vow days. And really what it all comes back down to is this disappointment. We all have disappointments in our life. We have disappointments in our marriage, in our family, our relationships. Uh, We are going to have disappointments. uh, And because our expectation is not always going to line up with reality or our experiences in life. And that's really the gap. And that's what we're going to be talking about in just a minute. But expectations, sometimes when somebody goes into marriage or maybe into a friendship or a relationship, um, maybe parenting, they're all, they got their, you know, their rose-colored lenses on, they're all fired up about parenting, and then this child comes out, and you're like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this child, and uh, man, this child's crying, I've fed this child already, I've burped this child, I've given this child some sleep, he or she's still crying, what do I do? And so there's, you're thinking, where's the owner's manual when I need one right now, kind of thing, and so there's moments where there's disappointments, your expectation is not lining up with experience or reality. And so we want to talk about that because I think that there are going to be moments in life that we're going to need to not just go through life, but we should grow through life. And I think that's important because a lot of people are just kind of coasting along, put it on cruise control, and they're just kind of going through life when they should be growing through life to help prevent the disappointments in life. The first thing we want to talk to you about today is be the first one to close the gap. So when you sense distance between the two of you, whether it's your spouse, with your kids, with a friendship, if you sense any kind of distance between the two of you, be the first one to close the gap, to work on moving towards that other person, to find out what, uh, try to figure out what's wrong there. Ask the Lord, show me how to close the gap. You know, if you sense that your spouse, your kids, friend, whoever it may be, that they're having an off day, maybe they said something that they normally wouldn't say, or they're being a little short and and out of sorts that day, rather than mimicking their behavior, model good behavior. And you know, that's not what our tendency by nature in the flesh is to want to do. Have any of you ever been there? Where someone else, you know, you're in a relationship with, they may be rude to you, and what's the immediate response that we want to do? We want to be rude back, right? Now, don't all sit there and look at me like you're so holy. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Where when someone's rude to you, the initial response of the flesh is you want to be rude back. Uh, But that's not what gets us good relationships. So we're supposed to not mimic the poor behavior, but model great behavior. It's kind of like, uh, think about someone who, uh, two people who are in a canoe. Um, How many of you have ever been canoeing? Anyone? All right. So some of you will know what I'm talking about. If one person for one reason or another leans one way in the canoe, should you lean that way with them? No, you shouldn't, unless you want to both go under. You should lean the opposite way to try to balance them out. And if you lean the opposite way, eventually you're both going to come back to the center, right? And the canoe isn't going to tip. And you know, that's how it is in relationships. If you sense your spouse or your kids or friends, um, they're leaning one way one day and just having a rough day, don't lean with them. Lean the opposite direction. And that way, it helps balance it all out. It's being Christ-like, and it gets things back in order. Not mimicking the poor behavior, but modeling great behavior. And do things in the home, too. Uh, You know, you all have, in your families, you know what certain things there are that can lighten the situation. Purpose to lighten the situation. In our household, uh, years ago, our middle daughter, Whitney, she was about two or three, and she was just learning her words. And somewhere she had heard the word frustrated. And one day she looked at us and she was upset about something and she said, I'm flubberstrated. 
And we have always remembered that and laughed so hard over that. And anytime someone in our house is, seems to be a little bent out of shape, one of the rest of us will look at that person and say, are you flubberstrated today? Is there anything I can do to help you? And it just lightens the whole situation. Uh, so Romans 12, 18, it says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know, remember, God is never going to come to you and say, did you see your spouse? And did you hear what they just said to you? Wasn't that rude? You know, the Lord would not do that to you. The Lord may come to you and say, what about you? Let's work on you. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with your spouse. So he isn't going to point to your spouse or point to your kids. If your kids are having an issue, he's probably first going to say, okay, let's talk about your parenting. Here are some ways maybe you could show love or you could better instruct your kids. So always go to the Lord first and say, Lord, how can I close the gap? What can I do uh, to bring this relationship closer together? As much as I can live peaceably with others, show me how and what my part is in that. You know, I heard a study one time say, and I don't know if it's really completely accurate, but they said that 90% of things that happen to us in life are out of our control. And about 10% is how we handle what was out of control. And uh, I think that's important to recognize, even though there are certain principles that as we learn how to operate more and more in the kingdom of God and learning these principles, it helps pro you know, provide for a brighter future. I think the most important thing, though, is remembering how do we handle those moments, that 10%. How do we handle it? How do we respond to it? Do we react? Do we act like the person? Or do we model Jesus? Do we do our best to model what his word is saying? And uh, I think that the most important thing we need to remember in life is not to get bitter, but to get better in life. Bitterness blocks the bright future, the bright plans that God has for us. So we need to remember that we need to make sure that we're keeping that vision clear of what God has for us by not getting bitter, but getting better in life. One of the things, techniques, and again, these are principles that Amy and I apply in our own marriage and family, and it's not limited to these 10 principles. But the second thing we want to talk about that helps tremendously is our really our number one vision in our family. It's like our signature ring. It's uh, honor. And honor each other. And so when we come together and we have our Gus's and Pep rallies, you know what I'm talking about, Gus's and Pep rallies, or your Johnson Pep rally, or Davidson Pep rallies. What do we do? We get together as a family, and it might be frequently, it might be once a month, it might be uh, once a week, it might be, it just depends. But at our gathering, our Pep rallies, and we try and keep them as fun as possible with the pom-poms. If we had them, we would do that kind of thing. But uh, we get together, and hey, we're the Gus's, and what do we represent? And our kids shout back, Honor! That's right, kiddos. We honor who? We honor God and we honor each other. That's right, because when the vertical is right, the horizontal will be right. Isn't that the truth? Because when Christ is first, everything else seems to fall into place. So honor is one of the primary ingredients. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, God says, listen, if you'll honor me, I will honor you. Now, in our generation, we're not learning a lot about honor with the sitcoms and the cartoons, commercials. There's a lot of dishonor, sarcasm, criticism, um, you know, joking at the other person's uh, expense. And so that's being displayed uh, all over the world today. And so this generation sometimes doesn't even know what honor looks like. And yet God says, if you will honor me, I'll honor you. And what does honor really mean? It means to consider the person to be valuable. Uh, that what they say is, 
weightier, heavy. It's not just a mist. You really, really, really respect what they have to say, and you really value that person. When you value someone, you are going to what? Prefer that person. You're going to esteem that person. You're going to lift that person up because you know that when you have someone on your shoulders, you're always going to stand much taller in life, right? So you lift that person up. You honor that person. You value them tremendously, and you prefer that person, as the Bible says, above yourself even. So it's kind of like this mother, she was making some hot pancakes and uh, her sons were eagerly drooling at their mouth. They could hardly wait to have that first pancake. And finally the mom says, okay, kids, who wants the first pancake? And both, both kids are like, me, 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 me. She thought, okay, this is a great opportunity to sit down and teach them a moral value right now. So she sits down and says, kids, listen, If Jesus was here, he would prefer his brother and say, I would prefer my brother to have the first pancake. So the two boys thought for a moment. Of course, the oldest son says, okay, points to his brother, you be Jesus and I'll be the brother. You know, in marriage, that's a lot of times what it's like. You be Jesus and I'll be the brother. Where God say, no, you be like Jesus and prefer your brother over yourself. And so, listen, there's different ways and techniques that as we grow in life, we learn to apply different principles in our marriage, in our family, our relationships. We come to discover what the person loves, what the person appreciates, especially if you haven't taken the five love languages.com yet. I highly recommend you get on that website and take the survey. Five love languages.com will allow you to take a quick survey, maybe five minutes or 10 minutes long, that will help you to discover what your love language, what your primary love language is. And it's vitally important if you're married that you have your spouse do this as well, and you talk about it with each other and discover what each other's love language is. Because it's, how many know it's hard to hit the target when you don't see it? If you aim for nothing, you're going to hit it every time. If you think your spouse likes chocolate cake because you like chocolate cake, you might be missing it. She might like angel food. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, she might prefer angel food. And just because you like chocolate and you keep giving her chocolate because it's what you like, you're going to miss the target. So it's important that you find out, does she like touch? Does she like words of affirmation? Does she like quality time together, gifts? Acts of service. I mean, these are things that as you come to discover yourself, it's important. Jesus said, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, you've got to come to discover what you appreciate, what you value, and then it's important to communicate with your spouse, with your children. Do it with your children. Do it with your friendships, uh, relationships. It's a whole lot more fun when you know what that other person wants. Amen? Yes. So model Jesus. Let me put it this way, though. How do we, once again, how do we close the gap? One of the primary techniques that we use in the Gustafson family is honor. Honor is our one of our primary ingredients to successful, thriving relationships. We continue to honor that person, even if they aren't being very honorable at that moment, which you cannot even imagine, right? That's just not possible with my angelic, wonderful wife, uh, who has wings sometimes, I think, on the back. But she is amazing. But there are moments where we might have to lean to the left or lean to the right because maybe it was a rough day. We've all had those. And so we've got to give mercy. And uh, it's vitally important that we model Jesus. Don't mirror what you're seeing. Mirror what God's word says. And uh, think of it like this. 
Remember how the enemy came to Jesus and said, Satan said to Jesus, he said, listen, if you will bow down and worship me, then I'll give you all this, all the kingdom. So most people want to be like that. You come to me first, you try and close the gap first, you try and honor me first, and then I'll give you what you want. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus reigns on the just and the unjust, doesn't he? In other words, even though he will honor those, he will lift those up who honor him. But the fact is, is that he is going to keep showing unconditional agape love, whether the person is respectful, honoring, uh, kind, or not. He is going to love that person unconditionally, and that becomes an inspiration. And that's why we're here today, is because we've been inspired by Christ himself, and we want to become more like him, because he first gave to us. He loved us while we were still sinners, and as a result, we have a desire to reciprocate that love now back to him. So what the goal is now is that we want to close the gap, be like Jesus, mirror Jesus, mirror his word, rather than what you're seeing in that moment of time. And in talking about showing honor, think about your friendships and actually take time throughout the, throughout the week, throughout the day, whether it be your marriage, your kids, your friendships, to think about how can I show them honor? What are tangible ways that would make them feel honored? Ask them. Uh, that's a great thing to do. A lot of people who have been married for many years have never asked their spouse, what makes you feel honored? And then purpose to start doing that. Even write it down on, on your phone or someplace where you'll see it on a regular basis so that you remember. I remember years ago I had someone who, uh, a lady who uh, had just become, you know, a casual acquaintance friend. But she started like every couple of months when she was at the grocery store, she had her certain favorite item she would have at the grocery store. Maybe it was a box of tea or some food item. And occasionally she would just bring me one of those and say, hey, this is one of my favorite things I get at the store. I thought I'd get you one when I was shopping the other day too. And it was, it's just, you know, something less than $5. But does that make a person feel honored? It does, and the reason is because it shows they were thinking about you, and so whether it's a friendship you're pursuing, whether it's buying something little for your spouse, buying a little item for your kids, you know, a pack of gum could go farther than what you realize, parents, just showing them you're thinking about them on a regular basis. You know, I was thinking, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, I think this is a good model to example, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands, but you know what I'm talking about. There are moments where you love someone, and it seems like the more you love them, it's the less they love you back. Now, the thing, though, is that we don't back off, though. You know what I'm saying? In marriage and family relationships, we don't back off. We've got to press in. Why the Apostle Paul is saying this? He says, I'm glad to do this. Why? Because it's a Christian thing to do. It's what Christ would do. He keeps on loving. That's why so many people come to Christ is because it's Romans 2, 4, and I didn't put this up on the screen for you, but it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. So when someone says, I'm not going to try and change you, but I'm going to change me. I'm going to keep being a godly example. It allows for the inspiration that you're saying, I want to become more like Jesus, and it allows them to say, Man, that, that inspires me. They might not change today. They might not change tomorrow. But you changing yourself is going to be an inspiration to them. True. And that leads us to our third point, which is be the first to repent and apologize. Be the first one to be quick to forgive. Be the first one to think, oh, I'm going to have a no-strife policy in our relationship here. It's so important that we are quick to apologize. You know, Jesus said, take the plank out of your own eye first before you try to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And one thing a lot of people don't realize about the scriptures, when he's saying this, 
That doesn't mean just in your own personal prayer time. That means, uh, think about having an argument with your spouse. Now, our initial thought may be to be thinking, you know, my spouse did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. But Jesus is saying, take the plank out of your own eye. The best way to do that is go and take the plank out of your own eye in front of your spouse and say, you know what? I didn't do this right. I could have, even if you feel like it's more their fault, Look at what you may have done wrong first and say, you know, I didn't say this in the right way. I could have been a lot more honoring and respectful with the way I worded that. Would you please forgive me? So take that plank out of your own eye because, you know, the majority of the time when you get the plank out of your own eye in front of them, that you humble yourself, they're going to be, you know, wanting to help get the speck out of their own eye. Now, Amy didn't have this planned, and I didn't have this planned, but I'm going to say the reason that we have children that really, really, really desire to follow us and that we're not telling them, you got to go to church, you got to do this or that. The reason, one of the reasons is because I can tell you many, 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 many times where I've seen Amy leaning to the left a little bit, she might have said something that was a little off key that day to one of our children, which is rare, but has ha- it has happened. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, the first thing I see her do is get down on her knee. She quickly goes to them, gets down on her knees at their eye level. Now, Courtney's passed her up, but, uh, you know, the fact is, is that, they're, you know, she has done this mm-hmm. since they were just little toddlers and if she made a mistake she's always been the quick to run and that's why I had her teach on this principle because I feel like she's one of the best I've ever seen in my life on being the first to repent the first to apologize the first to forgive and I feel like that's the reason why I'm married up because she's such a great example in this area that she will go to the kids get on her knees and she will say honey I am so sorry I really apologize will you forgive me uh, for what I just said or what I just did. And I'm telling you, those kids just wrap their arms right around mommy and they say, yeah, mommy, I forgive you. Uh, but I'm telling you, they want to follow us. Uh, and it's because we do implement this principle on a consistent basis. And this is one of the primary principles I actually learned from Amy, is how quick she is to apologize. So it doesn't matter where it starts, uh, who starts it, but I'll tell you what, the mature one, and I'm telling you, Amy's been way more mature than me many times over the years where she's been the first and quickest to apologize. She is right there on the scene. As soon as she makes a mistake, almost within seconds, I really apologize. Will you please forgive me? And that's what's inspired me to want to follow Christ because I see she demonstrates God's love in such a dynamic way. An important thing with that is to always be listening to your own tone of voice. Uh, sometimes we may not realize it, but our, our tone of voice may get kind of harsh. And ask the, the Lord to always keep you in check about that. Lord, if my voice is getting harsh, please help me to know that. Or if my voice is getting gruff, help me to know that. Because especially to young children or, or to your sp- guys talking to you towards your wife, um, that can come across as more harsh than you realize. And so if, I, if my tone of voice even gets slightly off, I will, if I re- realize that, I'll apologize to our kids because I don't want anything created creating a gap between us. And you know, the reason people talk about rebellious teenagers, I didn't plan to put this in here either, but uh, people talk about rebellious teenagers. I really believe one of the main reasons teenagers rebel is that the parents have allowed the gap to get bigger and bigger. Parents haven't repented when they've needed to. And if your kids don't see you repent, they're, they're going to keep moving further and further away from you. Amy's right, actually. What she's talking about, there was a survey actually done on this mm-hmm. with teenagers. And over 76% teenagers said they would love to just hear their parents say, I apologize, even just one time. Wow. What does that say? 
There's something about humility that is so necessary when it comes to parenting and all relationships for that matter. Mm-hmm. The humble, I'm telling you, they will eat a wonderful fruit. They will have wonderful, healthy relationships. But those who are waiting for the other person to close the gap rather than being the first to apologize or repent, they're going to have some serious issues in their life. And so this is one of the most important principles is to keep a no-strife policy in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships that you just don't let any room come in for the enemy to get a stronghold between you and that person. Yeah. And I'm not saying your teens are going to be perfect or anything like that, but I'm saying the amount of challenges that teens should have is way less than what you actually see in society if parents would actually just practice repentance on a normal basis, practice closing the gap, practice communicating the why behind things rather than just saying, because I said so. Um, There are times where your kids, they do need to be taught to do things immediately um, just because you're asking them to. But later, when you have a chance after the situation, say, this is the the reason why, this is the moral reason, so that they learn to think for themselves and they know the moral reason behind something, even though you do want to teach them to obey on the spot without you justifying it at that moment, because it could be a life or death situation. But always later remember to tell them the why in it. Um, Matthew 7, 1 says, judge not so that we will not be judged. So remember that in your relationships, whether your spouse, your kids, your friends, uh, always be the one that's quick to repent, close the gap, forgive easily. Um, I want to ask you this question. What happens when we try to change our spouse or our kids or our friends? Does that widen the gap or does it close it? It widens it. But when you repent, when you take the plank out of your own eye in front of them, what does that do? It closes the gap. And so that's so important for us to always remember. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So repenting and apologizing is one of those ways that we can easily do that. Also, Proverbs 17.14 says, The releasing of strife, uh, the beginning of strife, excuse me, is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. And one of the ways you stop contention is by using that soft answer, being quick to repent, and you'll be amazed at at what great results it gets you. And the next principle we want to share with you, in addition to, you know, what helps us close the gap of using honor, applying honor in our relationships, and being quick to apologize, to forgive, to repent... Uh, one of the last principles we want to talk about today, and this is all that we have time for, and then we'll continue this on next week, uh, but we want to talk about the importance of value of praying together. This is considered, I would say, the number one key ingredient to the reason why Amy and I have a successful, healthy marriage and family is because we pray together. We believe this statement that marriages that pray together stay together. Families that pray together stay together. Friends that pray together stay together. Uh, We have purpose in our hearts that since we got married, we were going to pray together every single day. The apostle, well, King David said, early in the morning, I will seek the Lord. So we made a decision just based upon even something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God, his ways of doing things, then all these other things will be added unto us. So we learned early on that if we will put Jesus first place, that everything else will fall into place. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, it says, Jesus said, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, Amy and I have seen literally just amazing miracles 
when we have prayed together. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen families restored. We've seen relationships restored. We have seen monetary things. We've seen bills paid off. We've seen cars paid off. We've seen all sorts of things, miracles take place. It's not limited to anything in particular. But listen, when you put Jesus first place, this is one of the primary ways to close the gap. Think of it like this. I know some of you who are trying to play pool this morning are like, hey, who took the, the pool rack? But uh, it was me. I'm guilty. But uh, think of it like this. Think of Jesus on the top, okay? And think of your spouse on the opposite side of, Z, of you or your child on the opposite side of you or your friend on the opposite side of you. Now, what happens when you both pursue Jesus? You get closer, don't you? You get closer to him and you get closer to each other. And so when you keep this visual that when you are praying together, you are going to close the gap in a very supernatural way. Because when you pray to God, you develop a heart to those who you pray to. And of course, we pray to God here. And listen, when you pray together, you get a heart for who you pray with, whether it's your marriage or family or relationships. And when you pray for you get a heart for those you pray for. And isn't that why Jesus said, pray for your enemies? Why? Because he knew it would close the gap. It would keep you from getting bitter and would help you to get better in life when you actually pray for your enemies. And I'm talking about this is one of the primary ways that Jesus has taught us that even if we do sense a little bit of tension in our family, one of the first things we will do, and I've done this with friends, I've done this with coworkers, uh, but I will come and take their hand if I see they're a little uh, flubberstrated, and I will uh, come to them and just say, hey, let's, let's take a moment and let's just pray together if that's all right with you. And so Amy and I will take hands, sit down on the couch, and we'll just bow our head and we'll pray and we'll say, Jesus, help us. Lead us in our conversation. Help us to communicate the way you communicate with us in a spirit of love. And every single time, say every time. Every time. Every time we have done this, I'm telling you, it immediately closes a gap because it's impossible, and I will say that again, it's impossible uh, when you add the supernatural, you bring Christ into it, you, you cannot stay distant from that person. You may try, but when you start praying together, I'm telling you, it immediately supernaturally closes in the gap. I remember the Lord a number of years ago, and we put this in our marriage book, uh, but the Lord had shared with me because I was studying on the scriptures where it says two shall become one, you know, the husband and wife, they shall become one. And I was really inquiring of the Lord, how does, what does that really look like? What does that mean? And he showed me one night, he gave me a dream. And in the dream, I saw God standing in heaven. I didn't see him like physically, but I, I could see it was him. And he was holding this torch like someone who does welding. And he's holding this torch, which the flame coming out of it represented love. And then I saw a husband and wife standing on earth, and they were praying. And this flame of fire came down, and it was uniting the two together as one. The flame of love was uniting them together as one. Because when we pray to God, he, we get united to him. But when we pray together, we become united with each other. If we want to see division and strife and everything else stop, this is the key ingredient. Isn't that what God said in the word? 
In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What is their land? It could be their marriage. It could be their family. It could be their relationships. It could be their career. It could be their finances. It could be whatever it might be. But listen, God will heal it, but we've got to first turn to God. There are times where sometimes uh, people want to say, well, we're not quite there yet. And I've had this many times actually happen where the husband and wife were just really at odds with each other. And like, okay, I'm going to tell you, this is the main ingredient. You've got to start praying together. You've got to just set aside uh, trying to communicate with each other. Just start praying together before you communicate every day. Uh, this is one of the primary keys. I'm telling you, singles and those who are dating someone, one of the most important things you can do when you go to see that person who could possibly be your significant other Keep yourself sexually pure. How do you do it? You pray together. So one of the things that I would do when I'd go see Amy, I was living up in St. Paul, I'd go down and see her in Winona occasionally from time to time as much as I possibly could when she was going to college and I was working up in the cities. And we'd get together and the first thing we'd do before we even talked with each other, we'd take hands and say, Jesus, help us to live a pure life right now. We dedicate this time that we have with you into your hands. Help us to keep this relationship honorable before your eyes. And I'm telling you, God has honored us for honoring him. He has given us an amazing marriage and allowed us to go into our marriage uh, completely where she could just walk down that aisle with a white dress on, having no regrets, no resentment, no uh, remorse, no feelings of, oh, I wish I would have done things differently. But you can't do this in your own strength is what I'm saying. We've got to totally depend on Christ. Now, if you've made those mistakes before marriage, it's always good to be quick to repent and apologize. God forgives. He forgives. When you were born again, when you accepted Jesus, you were instantly forgiven of your past, your present, and future sins. You're washed as white as snow. But to keep yourself from stumbling again and again and again, it's going to take praying together. Again, seeking him first place. Then all these other things are added unto us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. So when we put him first place, we will become more like Jesus in our life. Think of it like this. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And so if you really want to follow God in his ways, it's going to mean having a quality relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to mean knowing his word so you can mirror his word rather than what you're seeing displayed in the earth today. There was a survey done as we start to start to wrap this up. There was a survey done of couples who were very disgruntled and unhappy. And then there was a, a survey done for the same but opposite uh, spectrum. Happy, very, very, very happy, committed, united, very satisfied in their marriage. Do you want to know what their number one ingredient that both spouses said, the husband and the wife said? Over 93% of them said Jesus is their common denominator, that they both put Jesus first place in their relationship. Now, I don't believe there's any coincidence in that. And next week, we're going to talk about some of the statistics and odds that you've heard that have been against Christianity and so on like that, the negative reports, Christian uh, Christian marriages. And I'm telling you, we are going to break those statistics next week, and we're going to share some statistics with you that will absolutely surprise you and encourage you the powerful results that we as Christians get when we put Jesus 
first place. Well, as we wrap up now, we want to. I want to give you three things that immature people in relation, uh, immature people do in relationships. Number one, they're willing to detach themselves from the other person instead of closing the gap. So always be looking for ways to reattach the relationship, to close that gap and make it, uh, the relationship stronger. Number two, their immature people are irresponsible. Think about Adam and Eve in the in the garden. Adam said, "Lord, it's her fault," and Eve said. Lord, it's a serpent's fault. And they were always trying to blame someone else. And take that responsibility. Be the first one to repent. Be the first one to take responsibility. Even if you didn't feel like you were the main one to blame, be the first to repent and take responsibility. And number three, immature people are self-centered. They're focused on what others are not doing for them. Instead of being focused on what others aren't doing for you, focus instead on what you can do to help improve the relationship. Now, once again, to close the gap, remember, in marriage and in all relationships, you know, but let me put it this way, specifically in marriage, there are wow days and there are vow days, and how you handle those vow days determines on how bright your future really will become. And so, in closing, how to close the gap, one of the primary ingredients, once again, is honor. Be quick to repent, apologize, forgive, just keeping a no-strike policy, and then praying together. Once again, a marriage that prays together stays together. A family that prays together stays together. Friends that pray together stay together. Our closest friends, that when we come together, we don't just sit there and hang out and grill out, even though those are things that we do, and have fun going four-wheeling or whatever. You know, we have a good time with our friends. Uh, but let me put it this way. We also, every time we get together with them, we always pray with them. What can we pray for you for? And they'll say, what can we pray for you for? We always keep Christ at the center of our relationships in every area of our life. And this is one of the most powerful and important principles. That is, you get closer to Jesus, you'll also get closer to each other. Closing that gap, which is what we're after. Think of it in Malachi. Why did we start this church in the first place? Why did we do this? I'm grateful for my heritage. You know, everything might bring in the light that I had. But why am I doing what I'm doing? And it's because of this one concept. I don't want any denominational label behind my name because there are going to be no denominations in heaven. We are one body in Christ. Now, I'm not opposed to having denominational, you know, backgrounds and everything like that. I love every, you know, denomination. I love every person out there. Uh, but listen, I am trying to break down the barriers of what's keeping God's people separated. I saw it growing up. We had the Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church right next to each other. And there were feelings of differences. Like, you know, I still remember what Martin Luther did, you know, how he left the Catholic Church and he started this Lutheran Church, the Grace Church, you know, kind of thing. But listen... Jesus in his word, and Malachi put it this way, Malachi says that in the, before the second return of Christ, before the return of Christ, that he's coming back a second time. When he comes back, he, right before he comes back, he is going to bridge that gap. He's going to close that gap between fathers and sons. Fathers and sons, mothers and sons, relationships, the gaps are going to be closed. How? Because one of the key ingredients is learning to how to have good people skills and relationships in our marriages and families. And that's the reason why we started this church, by starting it with a marriage conference. And we continue to teach you marriage and family principles week after week is because we know that Jesus is soon to return. And when he comes back, we are going to see a church full of people who have thriving, not just surviving, but thriving marriages and families with Christ and with each other. Because the vertical is right, the horizontal will be right. If you receive this, will you say amen? amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please?
Father, we thank you so much for helping us to close the gap and not allow for any strife in our lives, keeping it out, resisting it, just like Abraham and Lot, just he just would not allow for any strife between the two of them. Whether we're talking about honoring together, you know, honoring each other, or we're talking about praying together, Lord, thank you for helping us to grow, not just go through, but to grow through our life. And Father, we thank you so much for our time together, for teaching us your word, imparting to us more of your grace, equipping your saints, empowering and encouraging them allowing them to take these principles home and apply them in their marriages, in their families, their relationships. And together, we're better. Together, we're stronger. Together, we'll go further in life. And we give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every head closed for just a moment longer, if you've never made the decision to accept Jesus Christ or you need to recommit your life to the Lord Jesus, it would be my honor and my privilege to introduce you to my very best friend, and his name is Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done right or what you've done wrong. All that really matters today is what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross, that he has forgiven you. It's time to receive that forgiveness for yourself. How can you forgive others if you have not received that forgiveness for yourself? How can you love others if you have not learned to receive that love for yourself? Today, it starts with allowing him just to love you right where you're at. In fact, in Romans 10, 13, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, it doesn't matter what you've done wrong. All that matters is what Jesus has done right. So if that's you and you're saying, Pastor, I need to accept Jesus Christ, or maybe you're at a place where you've accepted Christ, you've made him the savior of your life, but you've never really committed your life to him. You've never fully surrendered. And today you're saying, I want to make him the Lord of my life. Maybe you just need to come back to Christ. Maybe you need to recommit your life to the Lord Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed all over this auditorium, you're saying, Pastor, I need to accept Christ or I need to recommit my life to the Lord Jesus. Would you be bold enough and brave enough all over this room right now to slip up your hands all over this room? Just acknowledge and you want to accept Christ to recommit your life to the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much. You can put those hands down. Anyone else you're saying, Pastor, please pray for me. I want to accept Christ to recommit my life to the Lord Jesus. Anyone else? Just a moment longer. Today is a day of your salvation. Don't postpone it. Make it today. Let today be your miracle. Anyone else? Okay, let's do this. Let's take a moment. Those that are joining us online, we want you to pray this prayer with us. And all of you who are here today, we want you to pray this prayer out loud with us as we join those who are making that quality decision to pray and accept Christ or recommitting their life to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray with them. Join them in this prayer. Would you follow me today as we pray together? Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Forgive me. Forgive me. Of all my sins. Of all my sins. Jesus. Jesus. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. I accept you. I accept you. As my Lord. As my Lord. My Savior. My Savior. And my best friend. And my best friend. Thank you. Thank you. For dying on the cross. For dying on the cross. For all of my sins. For all of my sins. I commit. I commit. My life. My life. To you. To you. Now. Now. And forever. And forever. Jesus. Jesus. Please. Please. Take my life. Take my life. And do something with it. And do something with it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. Would you give them a big hand clap?